Leighton, welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, your number one audio source for Harry Potter news, theories, discussion, as well as info straight from the makers of the books and films themselves, like me, Matt Lewis. I play Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter films, and I'm very happy to be here helping introduce your hosts, the Pottercast trio, Melissa, John and Sue. With less than 100 days to go until we find out whether Harry lives or dies, welcome to Pottercast 85. Whoa. That's your cue. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Pottercast 85. Once again, we have an awesome show for you. I'm Melissa. I am here with Sue and John. And in this show, we have for you a fan interview with the girl who made the Harry Potter cake. This girl took the Harry Yay. Potter cover art and made, out, made the best thing ever out of it. A cake. We like her a lot. So we're going to hear from her in the fan interview. We also have a lot, a lot, a lot of your feedback about the cover art. All the all the people who couldn't get into our call-in show left us messages, and we've put that all together. And of course, of course, we have the lovely Scribby Five. So hey, you know, John, guess what? What's that? This podcast is brought to you by Borders. Oh yeah. Yeah, it this is. This one's brought to him by two? That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> I know. Isn't it amazing? They have, a, they, have a, they have a nice little run going here. It's like they like us. <laughs> they <laughs> might. They really like us. They like us. Days. <laughs> Prepare for the upcoming release of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by catching a glimpse of where it all began. During the month of April, you can purchase Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone on DVD for only $14.99 at Borders. Also, be sure to reserve Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows at Borders at 40% off and get a free sticker. Choose from Trust Snape, or Snape is a very bad man. You think they'd give you, like, some other stickers if you, like, wanted some other stickers instead? No. Like <laughs> Peter Pan stickers or something? No. Anyway, announcements this week. As uh, we've been saying, we will be at Phoenix Rising, the Harry Potter convention. Registration is now closed for Phoenix Rising. Uh, but if you, I know, sad, if you haven't gotten your registration, you may be out of luck. Anyway, May 17th, the opening dinner, we will be doing a podcast right after everybody's finished with their stew. Also, at Phoenix Rising, we'll be taking a trip to Habitat for Humanity. We are still trying to work out details on opening this up to more people. Our live podcast there will feature Matt of the Whomping Willows. No, oh, Matt, who is the Whomping yes, Willows. Yes, yay! And Draco, <laughs> Draco and Brian of Draco and the Malfoys. Uh, do the podcast alley thing. Do the dig thing. Go to harrypotter7.com. Buy a record from the Wizard Rocky P of the Month Club, and that's all our announcements, and it's time to go to Sue's News, right? Yes. Come on, Sue's. Okay. Let's have some news. Okay. Come on, Sue's! I just love the book so much, and it spoke so deeply to me. In this particular case, what Harry is going through, I felt like I wanted to protect the story and tell it as well as it could be told and really serve it as well as it could be served, and it's been an honor to do that. So said screenplay writer Michael Goldenberg in a rare interview given to TLC this past week on how he approached adapting the fifth Harry Potter novel for the movie version of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. In a lengthy new interview, which you can read via our website, Mr. Goldenberg addressed some erroneous claims and rumors that were out on the net. Among the many topics he covered, he described the difficult task of having to eliminate some subplots, as well as working with author J.K. Rowling. Of the movie itself, Mr. Goldenberg said, quote, It's a story that's darker and more psychological and more political than the stories that came before, and all those elements are really interesting to me, especially in terms of really connecting with what Harry's going through in this film and this story. It's about his journey from being somebody who's very angry and very alienated and feeling very outside the fold to somebody who's really becoming an adult and a leader who's going to take the DA and everybody else into this final battle. I think it's a key transition that he goes through and that we all go through in that stage in life. End quote. To read the entire interview, click on www.leakingnews.com and you can find a special banner on our front page that will take you to the entire interview. Another film news now. Warner Brothers has released a new photo from the upcoming Order of the Phoenix movie. This showing actress Imelda Staunton as Professor Umbridge and actor Dan Radcliffe as Harry Potter. This photo is set in Professor Umbridge's office and Harry is shown sitting at the desk, perhaps for those horrible detentions with Dolores scenes described so vividly in the fifth Harry Potter book. Ouch. 
Speaking of new images, we also saw a plethora of new images from the upcoming Order of the Phoenix video game released, including the covers to the box of the game, which shows the actors of Harry, Ginny, Fred and George, Ron, Hermione, Cho, Neville, and Luna. Luna, of course, is played by actress Ivana Lynch, and you can read a new interview with Ivana Lynch on our website as well. Also new are a slew of screen grabs from the various platforms of the new video game, and you can see these images and much more via our galleries, which now has over 140,000 images, the most extensive collection of Harry Potter images on the net. And Book News Now, Scholastic has announced that the tour dates of their special night bus tour, which will feature a special bus touring to 37 different libraries across the U.S., where Harry Potter fans can board the bus and record on video their thoughts and feelings about these books. The night bus tour is part of the There Will Soon Be Seven marketing campaign from Scholastic, which is making its way to billboards, bookmarks, magazine ads, and much, much more in the coming days, so stay tuned. U.S. publishers will also unveil new updates to their Harry Potter website this week and give fans a bit more to think on as we draw closer to the July 21st release date for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Well, for much more information on all these stories and all things Harry Potter, you can find it at leakynews.com, which is updated daily. Apologies for the plugged sound. Sorry, everyone. I have a cold. And that will do it for this week. Guys, we are back. Thank you for that, Zeus. Yeah. Well, what's the big news this week's news? Well, I think it was, we heard, I think it was a fandom first, right, Melissa? With that interview with Mr. Michael Goldenberg. And who was Michael Goldenberg? You with the Harry Potter screenwriter. That's right. Yeah. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew who he was. Um, yeah, we. you know, I, I didn't realize until after it was all put up and said and done that not only has he not really been interviewed yet, but nobody, no fan has ever interviewed the screenwriter. Right. Um People have interviewed Stephen Clovis and have also been fans, but it's not been for a fan site. So it was really, really exciting. And I have to address because um, a lot of people asked, why didn't you ask him about Dumbledore? And why didn't you ask him about this? And why didn't you ask him about all the specifics? Guys, the way this went down, I got a phone call at like seven o'clock that said, can you interview Michael Goldenberg in like 10 minutes? And... (laughs) I said, uh, right. Okay. Now imagine like JK Rowling's camp called you up and said, Hey, can you interview her tonight? And you had, you were in the middle of like, I don't know, watching 24 and you you had no preparation, nothing. You were just like, yeah, yeah, sure. And all of a sudden you were on the phone and you were in the middle of an interview with no research, no notes, praying that you can get from one question to the next. And um, that's basically how this went down. So all the details about the film that we had heard about this from the Chicago screening and all of that, mm-hmm. I didn't remember a single blessed thing. Yeah. Not one. Just went out right right out the Sadness. window. But you did get some good right things. So, I mean, we, we he talked a bit about why Ron and the Quidditch, you know, Weasley's a king. Weasley is our king subplot was cut out. I mean, that was good. Now. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's, and plus, I don't think he, he would really reveal. Right. Um, or he would talk much about, about specific stuff hopefully after the film comes out we can get into the specific stuff but what a nice yes nice guy totally seemed really down that that there was some info out there that that made him seem like he wasn't as much of a fan as he is right you know very much so so it was neat to hear more about him because i mean he he wrote two of actually my favorite films one peter pan's and not just because Jason Isaacs is in it, but he did a great job. Uh, <laughs> but he wrote Contact, which I thought was is, was a wonderful film with Jodie Foster, and I thought it was an excellent film. So it was yeah. nice to hear yeah. from Mr. Goldenberg. I just, I, you know, he's, he doesn't do many, much interviews. He, there's hardly very little press yeah. about him at all. So I thought, wow, this was cool. There's surprisingly little. I remember when he was first announced searching for some, and there was nothing. Right. <laughs> thinking, who is this guy, you know? Right. But yeah. knowing what he had done in the past and being very very heartened by that right. and just so he was so shocked by all the attention yeah you know yeah um yeah it was it was totally a huge huge surprise sitting there thinking that the entire michael goldenberg thing was over and you get a phone call and it's like oh by the way you're gonna do an interview right. with him like now right <laughs> and i said oh okay right and ran you know right. um you know so i'm really glad that it that it worked out it was good too it's like part of like a baptism by fire for him welcome to our fandom there we go. You know, yeah, seriously. Kind of felt so bad for him. I'm like, <laughs> you thought you knew Harry Potter fans? No, you were wrong. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Well, I I guess that's a that's as as good of an intro as any. Stephen Clovis has sort of had some nice time to relax with all that. Yeah. with all that attention. Yeah, that's true. But that was really good. You know, I mean, but hearing him talk about it, mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Hearing him talk about it in the exact way that I 
wanted a screenwriter to talk about these films. It's very, he takes it very, very seriously though, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like he's trying to be really reverent to it. Yeah. And he he speaks about them very reverent. There's reverence in his voice, you know? I wish you could hear that because, um... There really is. It's it's not made up. It's not put upon. You you can't you can't fake that. He loves these books, yeah. and if anything is um, wrong in this film from a fan perspective, at least now I'm confident that it's not for lack of effort. You know, right? Yeah. Right. And I I would probably be nervous love. too if, if if I mean it's his, it's his first. You know, there's already been four Potter movies written by somebody else, and you're coming in at number five. And trying to make a movie as successful as the previous four. And that's, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure there, too. So, of course, you know, he's going to be taking it very seriously. And that was very evident in how he was talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, he's sort of like a substitute teacher, (laughs) you know. He has to come in, gain respect instantly, Mm -hmm. and also keep the curriculum going, you know. Yeah. Which is not an enviable job. Um so I'm looking forward to see, especially when we see the next trailer, how that plays out. Yeah. Mm, I sure cannot more, wait. Um, yeah. Yeah. God. When is that? When is that? Do we have any idea? Oh, I think little birdies are telling us that it could be possibly by the end of the month. If not by next month. I'm soon. Ooh, soon. You heard it here. Rumors. Month, that would be amazing. Yeah. Rumors. It's a rumor. Rumor. Big fat R, followed by Uber. Little spidey. Not a tumor. My little spidey senses are tingling though. (laughs) Spidey. (laughs) But spidey comes out in May, so how would it be this month? I don't know. Don't know. Just think. Okay. Inquiring minds. Anyway, what else should we be chatting about in this Well, speaking of interviews, there was another fabulous interview from one person we all love, and her name is Miss Ivana Lynch, who plays Luna Lovegood. Yay! Yeah. Very long and very, very nice interview. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was. She's becoming very well-spoken, I have to say. Because yeah. mm-hmm. this, is, this yeah. is, you know, probably one of the first or so, you know, interviews of what I'm sure will be many in this whole lead-up to this book, to this film. But um, it's, it's nice to see her totally owning this role and totally being comfortable talking about it very, in a way that we all want to hear about it. She knows the kind of questions that the fans would want to know. She's been there and also what what an onus though to be that fan and then all of a sudden be the person who has to make your own wishes for the movie come true. You know, you're you're this huge fan and you know the way you want actors and and people to speak about the films. And now you have to like live that up out of a sense of commitment to yourself and your and your being a fan, which it's, it's pretty awesome. But she's so cool. I mean, she's talking about how the last time she watched it and she's going to be on the other side of the red carpet and walking up and how excited, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I can't imagine what it'd be like for me to do that, you know, I mean, so I can just, I appreciate that she's well, so honest about it. You know, she's like, yeah, this is going to be. You, you read one of the things she did say was that uh, she apparently knows what's in, what's in store for the future for Luna. Yes. And she's not allowed to talk about yes. it. I think that's pretty neat that, yes. you know, I think if she knows and it's possible, quite a few other actors know well, so I would, I would, I would presume that still, that uh, Dan doesn't know whether or not Harry is gonna, well, you know, have a future or not. But yeah, I, you know, we we know uh, Snape knows, right. Alan Rickman knows, and you know, probably a few other people here and there. But I think that's 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 really cool to know because it's really helping them in their character portrayals in these earlier films than than the last one. You know, one thing, I, I just love how she was, like, talking about, they, they always ask that s- standard question, like, how are you similar to your character, and da-da-da. And she was talking about, there's no evidence to suggest that the crumpled horn snorkak exists, but there's no evidence to suggest that it doesn't exist. Therefore, she, <laughs> Luna, can believe in it. I love that. that I just yeah. love her, you know? Yeah. That's, that's very concisely put, uh-huh. Luna. It is. Know? She's like, she She wants to believe it. There's no evidence against it. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, It is. It's- and, that, and that's pretty awesome outlook on life in mm-hmm. general. I mean, why why not believe in things? Why why be skeptical? Why, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and they share the cool. same wardrobe. Yes. Yes. That's so cool. Well, I know. I know. <laughs> that makes me, I can't wait to see what she wears to the premiere. Oh, I know. Oh. I hope she wears I hope those earrings. she wears ear- something. Those earrings like, that, you know. Yeah. Um, she could wear the earrings. I hope so. Gotta wear, gotta wear. Mm. Yeah. Love you. Love you, Ivana. <laughs> Poor Ivana. We're talking about yeah. clothes. Okay. <laughs> let's, 
Let's oh, move okay. On. Well, speaking of clothes, and we'll talk about pink clothes. We saw another really great photo released from WB of her pinkness, Miss Umbridge. And the scene, I think it's when Dan Ratcliffe is in the photo and he's sitting at a desk. And we're not really sure, but it pretty much looks like it's in the detention with Dolores scene, probably. Because there's little bits of drop of blood on his hand. It has not tell mm. lies. Gross. They're really showing a lot more Ew. blood in this movie. Yeah. We even had a whole lot of blood so wild. far. We had a little bit of blood when in Chamber of Secrets when he was in the chamber. Oh, with the basilisk? With the basilisk, but other than that, when have we really seen blood in the series, in the movies? Well, it's different to have blood, and and it's a lot worse to see the blood coming out of his hand as it happens, you know? I think that's a lot worse than, like, Harry ending up with blood on his face randomly. Yeah. You don't really know how, you know? And we didn't really see, Um, you know, Wormtail lose his hand. And actually, I just watched that scene recently. (laughs) I gotta say, I don't know what the heck kind of blade that was he was using, but... No knife is going to take it off in a clean swipe on one, you know, go like it happens in this movie. It's just so funny. At least with not with that. Um... Well, you have to wonder why I didn't just use a spell or a I wand. know. Yeah. Just use your wand. You have the wand. Why do you have to use a blade? Yeah, but they wanted to give. The... They probably could have even made it painless. Yeah. Yeah. See, if, if I was him, I would have done like the, the lightsaber spell on the wand <laughs> and had the beam come out. I missed that spell. It would totally fuse, like, all your blood vessels and all that so you wouldn't bleed or anything. Uh-huh. There's got to be a lightsaber spell. Oh, man. A lightsaber spell. That'd be so cool. Dude. Oh, you just see him in the gosh, hallways John playing around. Now, speaking of that, John, you know, we are talking about spells and stuff. We we saw in a report about the, that Wiimote thing for the, the new Order of the Phoenix game. Yes. And when you were just saying that, I just had, like, this vision of you, like, doing that spell with everything, you know, with your wand. It'd be cool if you could do those yeah. spells. So maybe gosh, you know. We'll do that. We were, um, just a reminder for people who may have missed that episode, um, we were at um, the EA Studios not very long ago and uh, watching demos and all that stuff. And that was like my one hope, not that I was disappointed or anything, but I'm like, oh, if I could see the Wii happen, that would just be the coolest thing. Yeah. And, you know, now, now you've all read about it and you know why. Yeah. Because um, I, pl- so- playing games with that Wiimote before, there's nothing so far out that is going to be like this with the amount of control you're going to have with this thing. Just like ever since you watch the first movie and they say swish and flick and everybody is always playing around swish and flicking. It doesn't do anything, but when you have the Wiimote do stuff like that, it's actually going to see the Harry on the screen do spells. That's just the coolest thing ever. It is. I mean, he's going to like, you know, do uh, what is that? Levacor, not Levacorpus, but what? Wingardium Leviosa, you know, and that kind of stuff. I just think that's so cool. You know, I want to do that. Just... It's going to be awesome. so awesome. But we, we saw a whole bunch of new stills of what we have in our galleries um, from the, the game. I yeah. Mean, just all of a sudden, boom, there they were from all the different platforms. Wow. Amazing. Oh, it's going to be so cool. There's just too much to look forward to. It's making my head hurt. It's like, I want the book, I, I want know. the movie, but I really want this game. And it's like, ah, <laughs> I, I need to put everything on pause well, and just experience a little bit each at a time. Yeah. It'll take it'll take us right through to the end of the year yeah. with fun Harry That's Potter true. stuff. You know? Yeah. That's true. Mm. Oh, and there's one more thing. Speaking of the books, Scholastic has announced their, and I'm sorry, I'm a little plugged right now because I have a terrible cold, but their night bus tour. Yeah. What else could talk about it because I can't breathe. Yeah. It's going to start in New York. It's going to go all over the place, all over the country. No Southern yeah, cities, no. huh? They've, they've missed the South. <laughs> Bummer. Forget that Texas. People in the South Shots don't like Laura Harry Mallory Potter. Was, yeah. is going to be standing at the bus stop for a long time. I know. Oh, I would love it if she protested the night bus tour. Oh, I'd, oh, I'd love I that. Mean, you know, I just, I mean, none of the South. It goes like through Arizona, but it's just, it just missed that whole, uh, that whole deep South. I just was like, yeah. whoa, hello. Well, you know what's, you know what's wrong with the night bus? What? <laughs> Uh-oh. It's not Christian! <laughs> you are so bad! So of, course, so, of course, he has a problem with it. You have been planning it. that. You, for you knew he had. <laughs> the night bus is dark side! John saw a YouTube video yeah. and he's been it's, trying to get it into the it's show. Tainted. <laughs> You're terrible. Oh, but I love you, John. Horrible role I model. Do like <laughs> Young people just don't. <laughs> beep, beep. Okay, well. The last, the last thing we should probably mention is this: that uh, once again we have rumors oh, of Harry Potter yes. in a theme park. Yes. But this one has come up before. This one seems to be gaining some speed, and the person who reported it is not an right. insignificant reporter. 
or somebody who tends Correct. to make things up. Mm. So I don't you know, know between, you know, I really thought they would have fit better. This report said they were going to go to the Universal Studios in Orlando, which is right near where Disney World is. Disney mm-hmm. is. World. World. Yeah. And I don't know. I just thought they would might have fit better with Disney, but I could see Universal doing a good job with it, too. I don't know. It just seems. Oh, I, I think there's no no better place suited for it than Disney, though. I mean, they, they theme, you know, the areas of their park around, you know, these big in a totally different things. And I mean, they've got like a fantasy land and things. And I was just thinking about that. I was just talking with you about yeah. this, Sue. And it's like, what's in fantasy land now is, you know, it's like all these, you know, old time kind of, you know, yeah. you know, Cinderella sorts of things. And, and, and like, you, you throw Harry Potter into that. Right next to Buzz. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> I think they would plan their whole, they would put a whole extra land in there. Oh, you'd think it'd be such a big awesome. addition. That you'd have like multi different rides, and like you'd have, you know, the food stands would be themed Harry Potter, and they'd have, oh, you know, awesome? you could have like themed food there all the time. The shops. Yeah, but speaking from awesome. but but speaking from the branding perspective, I wouldn't. Yeah. If I were Joe, I would much rather really? Universal because when you're in a when you're in a Disney theme park, it seems like you are a Disney entity. It's going to give well, not that Star Wars. That Star perception. Wars went in with Disney and there's the Star Wars rides and Star Wars maintained their own branding uh, and everything. I don't know. I don't I, I still feel that way about Star Wars. It makes me feel it makes me dubious about the the relationship, you know what I mean? Cuz I know it's not a Disney entity, but it mixes it up so much that 30 years down the road, maybe maybe people will think it's a Disney entity. But what, would, that, would there be harm in I that? I don't know. Universal is less like that. Universal is more coupled together. Yeah. But do you I think it would discredit the series Universal or is also a little older. Disneyland That's yeah, true. Um, yeah. tends to be... That part is true. You know. But I don't know if they, if they would even like skew the attractions older yeah. for a theme park. I mean, they'd have to be able to make something scary, and I don't know how much how, what how if there's anything scary in Disneyland other than things that are scary, thrilling like roller coasters and things. I can't think mm-hmm. of anything that's actually scary content-wise. Well, but you know, I mean, they're not going to have a big giant tough. Voldemort ride. I mean, what are you going to do here? Well, I could, I could, I could see something like if I was thinking it up, thinking of a way that you could experience everything from all the books yeah. and all the movies. You would you would take advantage of the pensive um, idea, and you could somehow get into Harry's pensive and relive his experiences oh, and that'd things. Be cool, right? And and I don't know exactly how you would move around through it. Um, there's 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 rides where like they're you know you're covered in like big screens around you and right. things like the Back to the Future ride and and um, and Universal and other rides similar to that everywhere else. And if you could just kind of roam around through it, but I don't know. I, I think that there would be more than one ride if the yeah. park did get the rights. They would. They would do. They could do shows. They could do live action things. Yeah. And we could do one per year. You know, the first year you have the yeah. goblins. The I mean, the Gringotts right. cart ride, yeah. and you have the whole underground chamber stuff. And the second year you have the basilisk stuff. And the third year, obviously, you have the flight of Buckbeak. And the fourth year is the maze and all the and all the goblet of fire stuff. And the fifth year you have. So much in the fifth right. year, I can't even yeah. think about it right now. In the sixth year, you have um, the cave, obviously. Yeah. There's so much. In the seventh year, you have the, t- the that moment where Harry doesn't die. No, he doesn't. And, you know, yeah. um, I think it'd be cool be because they yeah. could anchor it, you know, like have Hogwarts. It's like the center, like the island, the big anchor in the middle, you know, like the big castle. And then they can yeah. have all those different things yeah. around it. So, I mean, so they could have like a leaky cauldron or a you know, the hogs head or whatever, like pubs or foods and stuff. Dude, if they had a leaky cauldron, <laughs> could, I would they go and totally sit there for a week straight. That could Wouldn't be like a restaurant. Awesome thing. <laughs> I'd just go sit there. They'd be like, that girl is here again. Could you, could you make her leave? I know, we'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll all be like behind. in our 80s we and we'll all like be sitting in that <laughs> yeah, place, exactly. just rocking in like a chair. <laughs> oh, I remember we'll when be like, like, like those old, Like those old people who go to the, the same right, bar every night, right. the leaky cauldron in Disney our bar. Yeah. The three of us. Totally tipsy on butterbeer. Right, there, man. They would totally sell butterbeer. But, you know, oh, that's so awesome. and, at Universal, do characters walk around the park, or is that just Disney? Uh, I don't um, know. I don't know. You, could you imagine, like, the people dressed up, like, as the characters walking around, like, Mickey Mouse walks around, well, and, like, could. having mock duels and things. Oh, that would be, cool. be so cool. It would. Oh. Yeah. And, like, you'd have, like, a, right, have well, a grown-up we'll Harry and Jenny with their little kids running around. Yeah. and Twelve of them. You know, you could take pictures yeah. okay, with them. <laughs> Well, time will tell. So I think uh, it's 
We have a really yes. crammed show, so why don't we go okay. and hear from our friend Gracie, who did the beautiful cake. We'll hear from all of you guys with your amazing cover art reactions and a Scribby 5. Next week, we'll hear from Steve and Jason about the cover art. We're spreading out yes. all this. We know you guys want to hear from them, and they will be on the show next week. This week, we sort of had a scheduling snafu. So, on with the show. On with the show. In the Fan Corner, a one-on-one interview with a new lucky fan each week. Not me, not Hermione, you. Welcome to this week's fan interview. My name, again, is Melissa, and I'm here with Gracie Lane from Vermont, who we all saw on the front page of Leaky this week for making the most fantastic-looking cake, almost too good to eat, featuring <laughs> the cover artwork of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Hey. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How old are you? I'm 15. How did you first get into Harry Potter? When did your obsession begin? Well, when I was... In third grade, I when I think that was when the first the first one came out. I was going to get it, and my parents were like, "We can try and read them a little bit." And I wasn't as interested then. Um, I, I wasn't as interested in fantasy books back then. But when I was, I think, in fifth grade, the obsession began, and I got I read all of them. I think up to the fourth one, mm-hmm. and uh, that summer, or this, yeah, that summer, uh, the fifth one came out. And what I like, what I like to do with them is I, I have all the books on tape with Jim Dale, who I love. He's so great at reading them, and I would listen to the tapes and read at the same time. So it's so much fun to have this like narrator. And all the voices perfectly. So when did you think, hmm, I bet I could draw this art on the front of a cake? Well, um, last year I participated in Edible Books Day, and I did um, the sixth Harry Potter book. I did an, open, an opened book to the chapter The Cave, and I wrote in the writing and the chapter picture. Um, and I was hoping that I'd be able to do the seventh book, the seventh cover, if it came out soon enough. And I didn't think it would come out soon enough this year, but it did. And I was really excited, so it was sort of a last-minute plan. And I just took a whirl. (laughs) How long does it take you to create something like that? Um, Well, I started on Saturday, last Saturday, and I finished on Sunday. And I was pretty much just working all day, (laughs) like off and on painting and going back, looking at the picture I had of the cover and trans. Translate onto the cake. So, can you go over the process? I mean, it's 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 a lot different than sure. just drawing. Are you an artist to begin with? Well, I've always been a drawer. I've loved to draw since I was little, and um, lately I've been getting into painting. I'm taking an art class, and I really enjoy painting and drawing things from pictures, particularly people. Okay. And so, what I did was, um, I had a uh, I just made a square cake and I shaped it so it looked like a closed book with the rounded edge for the binding. Mm-hmm. And I frosted it with buttercream frosting. Then I took fondant, which is a type of frosting that they use for wedding cakes mm-hmm. that you roll out. And it's very smooth and pretty stiff, so it makes a nice surface for drawing. And I put that over the cake. And then I took the um, picture of the cover and used... Um, there are markers that you can use that are made from food coloring that I used to sketch out what I was going to draw. And then I painted um, the hairy and in the background and used basically, yeah, just all food coloring pretty much. <laughs> and usually you don't want to eat the fondant. Like on wedding cakes, they'll take the fondant off and we'll eat the cake inside so, so you can make the fondant like as extreme as possible and it can be really beautiful. You don't have to worry about like having to eat all the dye. Right. Yeah. I've seen that fondant. It's, it's very, very thick and they, they, make, they make amazing things out of it. I've seen pocketbooks. Yeah. And, you know. Have you ever worked with fondant before? 
Actually, I think this is the second time I worked. Actually, the third, actually. Um, the first time I worked with Fondant was last year's edible book competition when I made the six Harry Potter book that was open. And I had not used it before, but I had seen it on TV. They have, like, those cake competitions. I had heard about it. I had heard about it. So um, what I do is it's extremely hard to make. You have to have, like, the right ratio of, like, glycerin and sugar and whatnot. So what I did was I... You, you can buy it packaged from like Michael's and I bought it packaged and I rolled it out and put it on the cake and then I would use those markers that are made for decorating cookies and just draw, sketch out like the book image. And um, that was the first time. And then for my birthday this year, I made my own cake. That was a big present that I used fondant to make the bow and stuff. And then this third time was when I made the sixth, death, I mean the seventh Deathly Hollows mm-hmm. cake. To give an idea of the the size and the, did you weigh this cake? How big is it? Um, it was, when I first finished, I picked it up, but it must be at, probably at least 20 pounds, <laughs> I think. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just about the size of the book, right? Yeah. <laughs> hope not. <laughs> I sort of hope so. <laughs> yeah. It'd be hard to get More out of the store. better. Absolutely. Um, what about size-wise? Did you measure it? I didn't. I'd, I'd wager, I guess, at probably... The bridge was probably like 15 inches by 8, something like that. It was pretty big, actually. What was the hardest part to recreate? Um, Harry's face, <laughs> definitely. It was very difficult to, to transmit that onto, onto the fun when you can't really, it's really hard to shade with like paint mm-hmm. and faces are basically all like shadows to get that dimension. So it was really difficult to use that, try to get that Harry Potter face with just paint from food coloring. <laughs> Yeah, how do you work with that? Because isn't it really hard to correct a mistake? It is. Um, what I do, if I made a mistake, I would um, just dip a napkin in some water. And since the food coloring is water-based, it, it comes off pretty well. But it was still, it still had to be pretty meticulous to not get to not get the cake muddy looking with all the different colors. And you got the whole texture of the background with the, the yellows and the oranges. Yeah. Wow. How did you, yeah. how much time did you spend planning that out? Well, I kind of just went into it. <laughs> I think I worked the best with just sort of having the, having the picture like right next to me and then trying to match the colors just with the paint, with the food coloring and I'd, put the paintbrush up to the background and try to get the exact colors. And it's hard to do that with food coloring because it's so bright. You basically have just like the, the, you know, the essence of that color, not just different shades. So I'd have to make that. And my, my cake's a little brighter than the, than the real book because it's hard to get that sort of like dulled sunset yellow tone. Mm-hmm. But I just sort of went into it and uh, experimented with the different colors. So what happened when you went into school today? Um, a lot of the kids were um, impressed. They last year they were really impressed too. They liked um, the whole look of fun and it's very flashy. And um, it, we all ha- we all brought in edible books, most of the kids, and they all looked great. Yeah, everybody was pretty happy to see my second Harry Potter book. <laughs> Did anybody else do Harry Potter? No. So were they all expecting you after last time to to come in with it again? Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to do the seventh one. Like I was really hoping that the cover would come out. So I just had to finish it. This is the last tribute to this great series. Mm. Tell me about Edible Book Day. Where, where, do, where do people come up with a concept like Edible Book Day? Well... I was introduced to it last year, my first year at the school that I met, and apparently it's an international holiday where um, everyone tries to, they create um, something that is either representational of the book or is a book. Sometimes um, they'll do sort of ironic things like like m- metaphors or um, like last year there was 
a kid that entered entered a book called an undressed salad, and he just had an undressed like a plain salad to represent the book. So it's not just like cakes and stuff, but I want I um want to be a cake decorator, so that's why I choose cake as my medium. So you, and, so this is really what what you want to do. You want to do this for your career? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's really fun. I think it's very enjoyable. Now, was it ever a question to you which cover art to use? When it, it came out, my sister emailed me and she called me, actually. And we were all excited and we looked at all different versions, the U.S. version and the adult British version and the British version. And I knew I was going to do the U.S. version and pop out a great cake. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, do you have... Um, do you have any advice for people who might want to try and copy it? Mm-hmm. You might want to try and and walk in your cake shoes. What would you tell people who well, are going to go try this at home? I think that it's a great way to give a shot at it because um, cake is such a it's a versatile medium and you can make, really make it your own. Like, it doesn't have to look okay. This has to be level, just like a book. You have to make it your own, and you you should probably use something you're comfortable with or try something like fondant it works really well and you can basically do whatever you want like with the food coloring it's pretty open-ended there's a lot of opportunities to make a great cake so what do you think is going to happen in Deathly Hallows well me and my sister have been debating this I think that um, Snape's going to die saving Harry or helping him defeat Voldemort, but Harry's not going to find out that Snape is good until later on in the book. And I don't I don't really think that any, like, Harry, Hermione, or Ron are going to die. I just don't feel like that's going to happen. But I think that Hagrid might die, as much as I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen but, either. <laughs> no. we, don't, we haven't done this in a long time. We haven't played a game on this show called Live or Die in a long time. But uh-huh. I think you have such a special and fun story that I would like to play it with you. Sure. So I'm going to name characters. Mm-hmm. Let me know if you think they're going to live or die. Cool? Okay. Um, Neville. Liv. Why? Um, I think that since he's the, the other sort of um, possible actor for the prophecy, that... It, I don't see him dying because, I don't know, maybe it's because I like him. I don't want to see him die. Yeah. But I, I can see why he would, he would die, like, being brave. Yeah. But he, he's going to live, I hope. <laughs> I think so. How about Ginny? Mm, yeah, I think she's going to live. Like, how, would, how would that work if, like, Harry Levin just died? How depressing would that be? It'd be terrible. That's right. <laughs> Let's tell her before the book goes to print. It can't happen. Um, <laughs> Hermione. No, she's gonna live. Yeah. Luna. Um, I think she's gonna live. That's <laughs> all right. I, I, hey, I'm with you. Everybody should live. How about? <laughs> how about Ron? Except Voldemort. Except Voldemort, he can go. Uh, yeah, he's gonna live. Yeah. Okay, we. Ha- you can't do live or die without asking the big one, Harry. Live. Yeah. I I don't see that working. Like him dying in the end. I mean, I guess so. But it's hard to believe that he like if he is the last Horcrux, that there isn't like a another solution. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I really hope he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's gonna die. I'm with you. Not gonna Personally. die. All right. Well, listen, Gracie. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy cake making life. <laughs> your your soon-to-be world-famous cake-making life. And, um, what a pleasure. And we'll see you. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. This is Abby from Ohio, also Green Eyes 15 in the lounge, and I just had a theory as to what Harry's wearing around his neck in the U.S. cover, which is beautiful, I think. I think he's wearing either the real Horcrux or the fake Horcrux. 
If he's wearing the fake Horcrux, I think he's wearing it as sort of a statement saying that Dumbledore died for this and that Harry's going to finish it with this fake Horcrux around his neck as a reminder of Dumbledore. If he ever is wearing the real Horcrux, I think Harry's wearing it for two reasons. One being that maybe it's a way to sort of psych Voldemort out, a way to let him know that Harry knows about his Horcruxes, or Harry's wearing it as a way to sort of protect himself during the battle. Voldemort wouldn't do any physical damage to Harry in fear of hurting his own Horcrux, right? And Harry doesn't have any physical in injuries, so that could support this. And I know John does not particularly like this theory because he thinks that the locket cannot be that big, but we don't even have any idea how big the locket can be. Love the show. Bye. This is Richard from California, and this series regarding the book seven covers. Uh, from the Children's UK edition, it sounds as though Harry might be leaving the borough by himself, um, having Ron and Hermione, you know, going back to Hogwarts for a time, perhaps to protect Jenny, since uh, Harry's breakup with Jenny at the end of book six happened so late, many people may not even know it happened, and even if they do, may not believe it and see it as a ruse. Um, in the summary for book seven, it says that Harry has never felt so alone or faced a future so full of shadows and goes on to say that he will leave the warmth, safety, and companionship of the burrow and follow on his path. Um, I don't see how he can be lonelier than ever before if Ron and Hermione would be going with him. So it really sounds like he's going to be going it alone for a while. You know, Ron and Hermione will rejoin him at a later time, but early on I think it's just going to be Harry. Love the show and like to know what you think. This is Lily, or Miss Jubilee, on the lounge. About the American cover, perhaps it's another veil. Do all the souls from England or even the world go to the Ministry of Magic when their bodies die? Maybe there are many other veils around. Whether it's a different veil or the Department of Mysteries one, I think the arch has been shattered and the veil has been torn. They're battling on the far side, but since it's torn, Harry can get back. It also reminds me of a couple quotes from the New Testament. The veil has been torn and they're competing in front of many witnesses. The accompanying words of the verses got me thinking. Talking about life as a race, Paul says, Since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. At this point, Harry looks like he has. He's not worried or distracted, just focused on what he needs to do. And when the veil was torn in Matthew 27, someone was sacrificing his life to save others, and many people who had died came back to life, including him. I don't foresee mass resurrections in Rowling's story, but it's possible, and I firmly believe Harry will symbolically sacrifice himself and return alive. Hello, Pottercast. In the U.S. edition, which is the one I like the best, we've all you guys have talked about before good ultimately prevailing over evil. Now, my idea was Harry and Voldemort were actually working together to fight against some greater power, but I don't know. And also, if you look on it, you've talked about the triangle and the circle with the line running down it. The um, T in Deathly Hollows runs through the one of the O's on Hollows. So that might be another part of that hieroglyph thing. Otherwise, um, thanks for listening, and love to hear your comments. Even though Melissa didn't think that it was fire on the lenses, and it is kind of hard to tell that it looks like anything on Harry's lenses, the fact is that there is something drawn in the reflection of Harry's glasses. If you look at the Half-Blood Prince cover, Harry has a similar drawing. It's almost identical, flame-wise. It's actually more prevalent on the DH cover. Half-Blood Prince, it's the same thing, and there is fire around them. Now, in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, it is rumored that dragons are in Gringotts. Even in the rhyme that is found on the Gringotts entryway, to see you have been warned, beware of finding more than treasure there. That's on page 73. On page 74, it says, Harry's eyes stung as the cold air rushed past them, but he kept them wide open. Once he saw, he saw a burst of flames at the end of the passage and twisted around to see if it was a dragon. But too late, they plunged even deeper, passing an underground lake where huge celestes and stalagmites grew from the ceiling and floor. Also, I don't think this lake is the one we saw in Half Prince because in Hapless Prince, it's merely disguised as a very dark lake. You can't see the top or bottom. In Sorcerer's Stone, Harry says he can see the bottom of the lake from way up, and he also would have noticed if it was jet black. Hi, Pottercast. This is Elizabeth from Georgia. I spotted a possible red herring on the cover, Deathly Hallows cover from the UK. Do you know the armor on the cover? Well, I believe that it once belonged to Hepzibah Smith. You know that she previously owned Hufflepuff's Cup and Slytherin's Locket, but Voldemort also came to her house to offer 500 gallons for the goblin-made armor. Now, she said that the Hufflepuff's Cup and Slytherin's Locket were part of her collection. Could this collection be uh, artifacts from the Hogwarts founders? Could the armor be Ravenclaw's? Love to hear your thoughts. Bye. This is Frank calling from Germany. Even though I'm in New Zealand right now, spending a year here, 
I listened to Podcast 48, and John said that he doesn't think that the thing around Harry's neck on the US cover art is the locket. And I thought about what else it could be, and wondered if it's maybe a time-turner. Would it be possible that Harry lures Voldemort through the veil, where I think of Deathly Hollows, and comes back with a time-turner? I know that the kids smashed the time-turner shelves in the Ministry in all of the Phoenix, but as I think Melissa said, there was probably a time-turner around somebody's neck somewhere. Um, I don't know if anybody else thought of this, but what do you guys think? Hey Pottercast, this is Jen, 17, from Michigan. I was looking at the suspicious symbol on the spine of the UK Children's Edition, and I noticed something interesting. The triangle was used in alchemy to symbolize fire. The house that seems to represent fire in Harry Potter is Gryffindor. I was thinking maybe this is Godric Gryffindor's symbol and that we'll see it on an item of his. Maybe a horcrux? Thanks for listening to my weird theory. Hello, Pottercast. This is Jessica from Arkansas, also known as Kidney Pie, on the forums. My theory is that the snake on the cover of the UK edition of Deathly Hallows is Najini, and she is trapped in the bell jar. Let me know what you think. Hey, Pottercast. This is Jonathan from Edinburgh. On the UK children's edition, there's like a lot of reference to the houses, maybe, because there are lots of rubies, which are, which are obviously Gryffindor. Ron's wearing green, and there's like a green bottle there, which could be Slytherin. The armor is blue, which could be Ravenclaw, and like the gold could be of Hufflepuff. And this could be like trying to suggest we might see a lot more unity between the houses in Deathly Hallows, and I think that'd be really cool. It looks like Ron and Hermione have fallen through, but Harry's like trying to f- is like going the other direction from them. And on the back cover, I think I think that's definitely Hogwarts, and it's just glowing through the moon. And the adult edition, I think that's really cool. The where it has the locket. I think this is, it's like showing that it's a really important Horcrux and that it will play a big role in, in the last book. I definitely think it is the real one that R.A.B. stole from the cave. Love to hear what you think about this. Can't wait till the next episode. Hey podcast, it's Ben from Australia. While rereading Philosopher's Stone yesterday, I came across the following passage from chapter 16 through the trap door. The pathway sloped downwards and Harry was reminded of Gringotts. With an unpleasant jolt of the heart, he remembered the dragon said to be guarding the vaults in the wizard's bank. This seems to foreshadow the scene depicted on the cover of the UK children's edition of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, where the trio are presumably in a Gringotts vault, being advanced upon by a dragon. Since the chapters following this text all seem to contain references to future books, it would seem a fitting place for Joe to place such a clue. Just wondering what you thought. Hello, Pottercast. This is Kenny from Australia. Um, I'm emailing in about um, the Harry Potter cover. I've got to be telling you, I'm really liking this one now. The first time I got it, I really intensely hated it. Um, It reminded me so much of the Terry Pratchett Discworld Josh Kirby illustrations. And it just, it really, really was putrid. And um, I've had it on my wall ever since it's got out. And every day I've liked it more and more and more. It's not my favourite of all covers um, yet. Um, Half-Blood Prince was just took the cake with the with the colour scheme of blue and green. It was just so bold and you know fresh. I've got to wait until I get it to the book though. I'm I'm really you know hoping that when it's printed on book form, it will just look fantastic. What's interesting about this cover to me is that the background looks photoshopped. They look like they've edited that red. It, it looked like it was originally green. There's a green haze around the arch. It looks like it has been tinkered with, so I'd be interested to see if that was true. Hi, Pottercast. This is Mrs. DeMimsey Porpington. I'm calling because I was having second thoughts about the vault that is on the cover of the British Children's Edition. After hearing Melissa and Sue, I was convinced that it was Godric Gryffindor's. But remember what Dumbledore said? He said that he is sure that the last remaining object of Godric Gryffindor's is safe in his office, namely the sword. I am sure he would be aware of a vault that contained loads of stuff from Godric Gryffindor, as I think he is probably one of his heirs. But I digress. I think the vault in question belongs to Voldemort or Tom Riddle. I really don't think the goblins are too discriminating, do you? Could the fact that he has a vault have something to do with the goblin family he killed during the first war? And don't you think that Voldy would have the dark powers to access his vault without having to walk into the lobby of Gringotts? I mean, he didn't ask permission to rob the vault that contained the Sorcerer's Stone, did he? What do you guys think? 
Thanks. I think there's two veils. One lets you go in, the other lets you go out. The one that's where the treasure is, is the one you come out of. So, in fact, they're actually coming out of behind the veil. And that's the end of the book. That's just me, though. This is Richard from California, and I have a theory about the castle on the back of the UK children's edition of Book 7. Um, it's possible that um, the castle shown on the back is maybe Camelot. Uh, Merlin and Morgana have been shown in the Chocolate Frog cards, and you know perhaps Arthur existed as well, possibly being Godric Gryff- Gryffindor, uh, using an alias. Uh, castles have been made implausible before, you know, and hidden away from you know both magical and unmagical society and ways. Um, so it is possible that you know Camelot, you know, castle could exist in some forms, and that might explain the armor sh- shown in the picture as well, possibly Arthur's armor. Um, if the, the Camelot legend is used in it, you know, perhaps Hufflepuff's cup could show up as possibly the Holy Grail. You know, there are tons of magic items in the series. Love to hear what you guys think and love the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Scribby 5. I am Melissa, also known as MLWL. I'm Sloan, also known as Wither Wings. And I'm Nina, otherwise known as Severine Snape. When you have seen as much of life as I have, you will not underestimate the power of obsessive love. Those are the words of Professor Horace Slughorn, and we will be talking to you today about obsessive love. Scribulus issue 15 is now up, and in uh, in it we have a really important study by Dr. Cynthia Zinnacle of Majuradam University, and the stu- uh, study is entitled Snape, Good or Bad or Good in Bed. Dr. Cynical is a clinical psychologist and she's specialized in the field of Snape rehabilitation. That's right, Nina. She is an expert at helping women overcome a very serious and widespread disorder, a fixation on the fictional character Severus Snape. Yes, Melissa, it is important to stress that he is fictional. I mean, that is a really crucial step towards recovery. Right. Of course it is. And to help women deal with this obsession, Dr. Dr. Cynical has opened an online rehab clinic known as Severus Anonymous. Now, to some people, this sounds silly, but Snape's popularity is literally making headlines. It is. It is. The Baltimore Sun ran an article just last week stating that his name brings over a half a million hits on Google. That's amazing. It is. And that's obviously a sign that we need some rehabilitation. Oh, yeah. Melissa, Snape addiction, you know, it's a silent epidemic that's been ignored and pushed under the rug for too long. Definitely. It is a very real problem, and it can be impossible for some women to overcome when it's left untreated for a long time. It's (laughs) also tough. Yeah. It's tough to diagnose because so many, just millions of women are obsessed with Snape, but they're in denial. Mm -hmm. They believe they have their addiction under control or that it's not that serious. Absolutely, Sloan. And that's why it is so important to to recognize the symptoms. What are some of those most common symptoms of snake addiction, Nina? Um, Well, according to Dr. Cynical's research, um, some of the most obvious symptoms include, uh, well, obviously, constant thoughts of Professor Snape, Mm -hmm. writing fan fiction about Snape. Um, Some women become sad or depressed when reading about embarrassing incidents from his childhood. Uh, Some rush to defend him against all criticism. And, of course, uh, the most important one there is uh, the acceptance of drooling at the mention of his name. I yeah. can certainly see how that drooling would interfere with normal daily <laughs> yes, activities. Definitely. Yeah, that's bad. According to this essay, the first step in treating Snape addiction is for women to get in touch with their inner Snape or to compare the romanticized Snape figure in their imaginations with the cold, harsh reality of Snape as he is written in canon. And this is probably the most painful part of the process, but it is very effective. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's in this step where the patient is forced to look at the real Snape. Well, the real fictional Snape? Right, Nina. Yes, thank you. The real fictional Snape. uh, Through the eyes of the female characters in the Harry Potter books, as you can see as I read uh, the following passage from this essay. 
There is a striking dissimilarity between the effects Snape has on women in our world and in his own. For some fans, he's a walking love potion, but in the books, Snape is hardly being chased by Wilhelmina, Pomona, Pansy, or Millicent, is he? And no buckling knees for Minerva, no jitters for Hermione when Snape passes, however some shippers might wish otherwise. <laughs> now why is that? Well, in canon, it is implied that girls and women experience Snape very real, warts and all. And then it's easy to see that there is no attraction at all, no sex appeal, no obsession with his greasy hair, his hooked nose, and not aquiline features, ladies, but a dime a dozen hooked nose. His infamous uneven yellowish teeth Ugh. and his demeanor officially being described as scary, grudgy, snarly, narrow, cold, violent, dark, contemptuous, <laughs> malevolent, unmistakably malicious, cruel, sarcastic, and worst of all, tut-tutty and unpleasantly lolling. <sighs> wow. The message for his fictional, fictional, <laughs> pure fictional characters is clear. Yuck. Wow. Those are some really strong words, aren't yeah. they, Sloan? Um, but you know, with Snape addicts, you, it is quite necessary to, to be harsh. Right. Uh, and that's why the Severus Anonymous methods are so controversial. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got the buckets of ice cold water thrown into the mm -hmm. face. Um, they've got Snape hand puppets. Therapeutic um, fantasies of Alan Rickman, journaling, right. naked interpretive dancing, oh, yeah. the poetry. You know, they're all crucial to the healing process because it's so easy for recovered Snape addicts to complete the program and then slip back into their old obsessive romantic fantasies about Snape as soon as they reread the Harry Potter books, particularly the sixth one. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly why maintenance of this disorder is so important. Nina, right. I know it's difficult for you to talk about this, but I do know that you've struggled with your own Snape addiction and you have been recovering quite successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find this Severus Anonymous program helpful? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it is, it is still quite hard for me to talk about, but... Um, a year ago, I couldn't even admit that I had, in in fact, a, a Snape problem. I mean, the signs were obviously all there, but... Well, when you call yourself Severine Snape, I think that's a pretty obvious signal that you have some Snape yeah. addiction issues and you need some help. Well, yeah, I mean, but it was obvious to everyone but me. I mean, I really yeah. thought that I was in control of, of my inner Snape, but, you know, it it, it turned out that he, he was playing me like a puppet. I know, it's hard. It's okay. Would you say that reading this essay is the first step to recovery? It, it's, it's a good start. Yeah, it's a good start. Ladies, our time is just about up. We've covered so much ground, but we've really just skimmed the surface of this topic of Snape addiction and the groundbreaking new essay. That's right. That's why it's so important for listeners to go and read the whole essay so they can be made aware of this serious condition and also find out how to get help for their Snape-obsessed friends or loved ones. Yes, please go and read this essay. Um, we've got many others as well at scribulus.com and you can also find them by clicking on the links provided on the Leaky Cauldron. And we will see you next week. All right, see you next week. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. So we're back. Wowie wowie. Uh, how are you guys doing? We haven't had a normal show in quite some time. We have a fun announcement coming. I know. We Dude. got our segments back, or some of the segments. Crazy segments. Got my Scribby Five. Did a good job this week again. Oh, my gosh. That's right. The, the Deathly Hallows. Well, we had some tech difficulties in the beginning. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this podcast, podcast it's fixed. Well, we didn't even talk about what's already out right now. This is our big fat DH quiz. Yes. Test exam. Bravo. The idea for this came around, of course, because everybody's always thinking that they know what's going to happen in book seven, and everybody's talking about it in the forums, and everybody has their theories, and you've got threads and threads and topics and whole forms talking about this, but it's all in that linear, you know, in that, in that way. So... You know, how else can everybody say that they were right when that book comes out, if they were right? So this is, you know, the way to do it. We're going to ask hundreds of questions before this is all done. we got a hundred out now, but every last little detail, you can predict it. And we'll, and once the book is out and we grade this thing, we will know which one of you really knew what was going to happen in Deathly Hallows. And, and that person will, get... will be rewarded like no other muggle has ever been rewarded about their Harry Potter knowledge. 
and John they will be the ultimate knowledgeable fan. <laughs> they will get a dozen kisses from Ellis and um, maybe even a kiss from Joe. Who knows? Oh, gosh, but no. Anything's on the <laughs> table when you talk about... that about. stuff, John. You can't well, joke think about, about the possibility this of that is, stuff. This is... the Anything is possible when you talk about the person that could have guessed the entire book. If you got every single thing right, I don't know that that's even possible, but everyone, every question right, it's like you'd already read the book before it even came out. You were that knowledgeable. You had sleuthed every single clue. So It'd when Hot Cheryl amazing. wins... <laughs> No. <laughs> if the winner is hot, Cheryl, <laughs> we'd have to reevaluate the answers for everybody else. We're basically we're like who is H O T T T T C. Until then, we don't even know what we're going to be I'm giving not, you I guys. Don't know. I mean, from the stupidest little thing, from like like a bookmark to some sort of huge grand prize, we don't know. We ha- we just know that we want to give you something. So hit the quizzes section on Leaky, and you'll find it. We'll have more buttons for you around Leaky. Um, hey, I, ha- I have a I have a, a request. Um, as you guys know, I'm I'm writing this, this book about the Harry Potter fandom and okay. about the phenomenon of Harry Potter. And I want I need some specific stories, and I'm hoping that you guys can help me out. I need people of a certain type to contact me, um, or if you know people like this, if you know somebody who has successfully gotten the books banned, if you know somebody who was a fan since '97, if you know somebody whose kid heard about it in the schoolyard. You know the Potter books, and if you know somebody whose whose kid didn't read before reading Harry Potter and now is a big book fan, oh, you'll get a lot of that. Yeah, send me or or even just any cool story that you that you want to send. But those those things in specific. But any kind of story that you think that I should hear, I'm open to it. And here we go. I'm going to give my email address out. Here we go. Might as well. It's my inbox is insanity anyway. It's what Melissa. What my email address. Melissa at the dash cauldron.org. There. Like that was really hard to figure out. But yeah. um, just shoot me an email. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you guys. It just starts it just starts things going and, and augments what I already have. And um, research is going is going really well. Some of it's really infuriating when I read about people who try and ban Harry Potter. Um, and I thank you in advance for that. Cool. Nice. Nice is nice. Nice. Well, you know, and it'd be good. <laughs> This summer, I'm sure more is more. We get more close closer to the release of the book. I'm sure more people will be more reflective on it, and you'll probably get some more good mm-hmm. stories. That'd be really pretty cool. Oh, I, I can't wait to get these giant emails. As I know, you are all capable of sending. I know it, you people. You are all capable of sending us 14 page emails because you have. Yes, <laughs> this yes, time they I have. This time I will read them. <laughs> we read the other ones, but this time I will really read them. <laughs> so yeah, well, just to. Uh, just for fun, because you all did such a great job in collecting, um, or we did such a good job in collecting your responses this week about what you thought of the cover art in audio format, yes. and some of you downloaded those softwares just for the sake of that request, let's let's continue that fun little um, um, game of recording yourselves, and uh, let's let's pick a new question for you to send in some responses to. I think that went. Gee, it sounds uh, like something we've never well. done before, John. Well, we've not we've not done it in about fifty weeks. <laughs> okay. So um, we're going to bring it back. Who was the person that turned them on to Harry Potter? And tell us that story in a minute or less. And and say your email address at the end of it, which we won't put in the show, but which means that if your story is cool, I can contact you. Well, I mean, they're going to be sending us the file somehow, so they'll have to email us anyway with their file. But That's right. Remember, audacity that sourceforge.net. You can record yourself and sound good. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but give us, give us a minute or less and uh, who was the person, if you can remember, that turned you on to Harry Potter. And you can even thank them for it on the air. If you can do it under a minute or less. Because nice. we're getting towards the end, you right. know, the, under 100 days yes. now. And our little journey of waiting for books is, you know, rounding out. So thank the person that turned you on and helped and turned you on to this journey. And uh, it'll be fun to hear from all of you and in a minute or less so we can fit as many of you on the show as we can. Awesome. Wow. Wow. That's so cool. Wow. Oh, it's hard to think, though. We're under 100 days. <sighs> Not too much. My sister to introduced me to Harry Potter. My sister had read the yeah. first book. She thought it was fun. She gave me it as I went away to college for my last year of college. Um, and she thought I should read it. I should have something light to read. And she has no idea what she's done. Well, no, she, now she has an idea what she's yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. 
Can I give can I give a can I give a little shout though? Sure. A little congratulations. My sister has just finished her last exam of law school, passing oh. pending passing the bar. She's now a lawyer. That's great. Congratulations. Wow. So proud Very of her. Cool. I can't even think straight. She's amazing. She's a an amazing person, my sister. So yeah. yeah. Yay. Yay. Definitely Esquire. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm gonna go around calling her Esquire. Yeah. Actually I'm gonna call her Doctor of Jurisprudence because that just sounds funny. Yeah. That's hot. <sighs> well, one more tiny little thing. Uh-huh. Deathly Hollows comes out July twenty first, two thousand seven. Uh-huh. Thank you, I didn't Where know. Where will you be? <laughs> Where will you be? Uh, That's all I wanna ask uh, this week. A good question. Where will you be July twenty first, two thousand seven? Where will you be? Keep your eyes we open have... this week to the answer to that question that uh, we might be able to help you answer. So tricksy there, Jim. Where will you be? Hmm. Those of you who've been around since 2005 will know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> That's it. Awesomeness. And watch for some in- invisible question marks that you won't see on the site. <laughs> no, not, not the giant question mark again. No, no. anyone else's for that matter. Question mark. No. We broke the whole site last time. The days. Funny. Anyway. Those were the where days. Will you okay, be? guys. I think Tune it's in to find out why. I need to go get some tea. I can't breathe. Sorry. Yeah, Suze. Feel better. <laughs> All right. All righty. All right, everyone. Just go. You're wasting time. All right. See you guys. Don't forget podcast.com for details on how to send in your voice responses to the question of the week. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a good week. Toby is free. Oh, and about time, too. We've missed it. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you two don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. (laughs) 